Luke um, 1, verse 26 through 38, Common English Bible. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoiced favor one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over Jacob's house forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? Then uh, the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even at her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. The woman who is labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Well, we uh, are in the third week of Advent and uh, hearing this story about Mary. And uh, do you ever uh, get interrupted by anything? You ever get interrupted? Get disrupted? Like when someone interrupts you, how do you handle it? Like, do you like, is your response, hey, yeah, what, how can I help? Right? Have you ever done that? You know, be very, so if you're saying that, you're available. Or maybe sometimes you say, uh, you know, not right now, I'm busy, I, I don't really have time right now, but can we talk about this later, or can I, you know, can we get back to you, right? And so that would say, I'm not available. But then, there are those of us who pretend to be available. Do you know what that's like? Where you are acting like you're available, but you're not really available? Does that make sense? Like, you're on your computer, you're focused on watching something on the TV, or somewhere else, and what are you thinking? Like, Hey, can I, uh, and then someone comes to talk to you while you're doing something or focus on a task, right? And then what do you do? How's your, what's your response? Uh-huh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, are you available? Does that make sense, right? Anybody there? Anybody else do that besides me? Anybody? Right? And so really our availability, right, when we're interrupted is often like how we respond. And I'm thinking about our ability to respond these days because I think the way that we live our lives today is overstimulated, overstressed, overwhelmed, right? And when we're that overstimulated, overstressed, and over and over respond and, and having to over respond, what actually happens is we actually begin to shut down. So our availability actually is hindered. Our availability, and one of the things we hear in the story of Mary today is one of her things is availability. She was able to be available to what God wanted to do. But I wonder if God could get through to us today because we're so overstimulated. Does that make sense? There's actually a term for this called 
anhedonia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But it's a loss of interest and enjoyment in all activities that you once liked, the feeling of not caring anymore. And what's happened here is that when we overstimulate the pleasure senses of our brain or the happiness part of our brain, when we overstimulate over and over and over again, we actually become numb to it. And the simple pleasures that we once had are no longer there anymore because we've oversaturated ourselves and overstimulated ourselves. And they're actually finding this is happening to our brains. They also call this uh, emotional flatlining and is also described as just having a lack of joy. And I think, I wonder, I just wonder if our overwhelmed, overstimulated world is actually creating this numbness and it's actually impacting our ability to be available to see God to experience joy and happiness in our lives because of this. You know, I think about, like, would, if the angel chorus were to show up tonight, just like the shepherd, would we pay attention? <laughs> you know, could we hear the angel chorus with our earbuds in and looking at our phones, right? To hear the angel choruses, we'd have to take our earbuds out and we'd actually have to look up. And I think about this world that we live in that's got our heads down and our ears plugged, and I wonder how available we are to what God wants to do in our lives. Just like Mary. You know, Mary, she had no credentials to be the mother of the Messiah. Absolutely none that I can think of. I mean, if you looked at her resume at this point in her life, there was nothing that you, if you were a hiring HR person, you wouldn't have hired Mary for this role. And not only that, if there was anything in question, it was because she was from the town of Nazareth. That, that might have not been good for her credentials because the hill country of Nazareth was, a, was a, a little bit different area and that wouldn't have been people's first choice for mother of the Messiah in terms of credentialing. So if anything, she was, didn't have any credentials and if anything, her credentials were suspect. The other thing is, I wonder if Mary felt inadequate to what God was asking her to do. I think she did. I think she felt very inadequate. I, I mean, she, she even asked the question, like, how's this going to be? How's this going to happen? I, it, it's not possible with me, given my life circumstances, right? This is impossible. She felt maybe some inadequacy in that response as well. Like, I, I can't do this. I can't do what God's asking. asking it. I need to know some more <laughs> what's going to happen here. And I think about that. How often do we feel inadequate? And how often in our overwhelmed, overstressed, overstimulated world, the reason we, when some interruption comes, some disruption comes to us, we're so overwhelmed that our inadequacy is actually part of the response. Like, I got so much to do. I got so many other things to focus on. I can't possibly make myself available to one more thing, right? Do you ever feel that way? That part of our unavailability is actually part of our inadequacy. That we realize we're limited, finite human beings, and there's only so much we can handle, so much we can do, so much we can focus on at one time. In fact, multitasking is a myth. It's not reality. Yet, have you ever also noticed in the Bible, in the Bible it talks about people who get chosen by God to do extraordinary things that don't have credentials and often feel inadequate. Think about the person who becomes King David. King David, when they went to select the next king, they went to his oldest brother first because he was the biggest and looked like the mightiest warrior of all the brothers. And God said, no, not, not him. And worked all the way down the line. And then finally, 
looked at uh, the father and said, Is there any, do you have any other sons? Oh, I got one more. He's tending sheep in the field. He's, the, he's, the, he's basically the runt of the litter. So he gets selected to be king. God chose as someone we would not have chosen. Or think about Moses. He's a fugitive on the run. He murdered someone in Egypt. He doesn't have the best credentials to lead the people of Israel. And even when God asks him to lead, even when God calls him to lead, he says, well, you, you know, I don't, I don't really speak well in front of people. What was that? Inadequacy. He felt inadequate to the task, right? And it's amazing how God chooses people without the right credentials and chooses people that feel inadequate to do some of the most extraordinary things. That's what we see in Mary. So what helped Mary handle this disruption to her life? What helped Mary move from disruption and maybe even some, a little bit of doubt and inadequacy to acceptance and faith? How does she make that shift? What's going on? And it seems to happen here in the text quite quickly, doesn't it? And I wonder if that's really how it all went down. But again, that's what the Bible says. But here's some things I thought about as I was reading the story again of how Mary moved from inadequacy to faith. And I thought about this. First of all, I think she understood the consequences of what was going on. I mean, we don't often pick up on this. It's not in the Bible, but consider this. When she accepted this assignment, she was also accepting the possibility of being a single mom to raise the child. Think about that. She, she would have known that Joseph would have divorced her if she had, for what was going on. She would have been aware of that, or at least would have crossed her mind, that I'm going to be a single mom, a real possibility for her. She weighed that consequence and still said yes to God. I think the other consequence she did look at was that she also looked at the resume and the credentials of Jesus. Because this, the angel is really clear about his credentials in this story. Did you hear them? Here are some of them again. He said, uh, th this is Jesus, son of the most high, going to have the throne of David, rule over the house of Jacob, will have a kingdom without end, and is the holy son of God. That's pretty strong credentials. And so what Mary was also weighing was the consequences of not doing this and what that might mean and what God's plan was. And so notice that she has to weigh the consequences both to her personal life and also what God is doing in the world. And even despite her feelings, maybe even inadequacy or not being credentialed, she does have this spiritual maturity to say to God, I'm available and willing, even though I don't know how it's all going to work out. And it's that availability and willingness that is part of her spiritual maturity to accept what God is asking her to do. She also had faith in the creative work of the Holy Spirit in this text, right? She was like, how is this going to happen? The Holy Spirit. That's how it's going to work. There's this creative work of the Holy Spirit that works in Mary, but I would suggest can even work in us today. There's this creative work that the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is always creative in its work. Even going back to Genesis chapter 1, right? When God created the world, it's the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, right? And creating the world. So there's this idea that the, the Holy Spirit does creative work in us. And the things that seem impossible to us, or even that God might do through us, so it seems like it's not possible, we 
know is possible with the creative work of the Holy Spirit, which is what she puts her faith in, right? She didn't understand how all that was going to work. And so I think about how there are times when our fears and our anxieties may never go away. The circumstances of our life might not change. But could it be that the creative work of the Holy Spirit is trying to do something in us in the disruptions of our lives? See, I've come to the conclusion that God can use the disruptions in our lives to do creative work in us. It's not when everything is normal that that happens. It's when we're disrupted that, that we have to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And then the other thing we learned from Mary is that even if she had some doubt, which maybe the angel, mess, the angel talking to her in this passage maybe picked up on, because the last part of that message to Mary is, hey, go check out Elizabeth. If you, if you don't really understand everything, if you don't believe what I'm talking about, go see Elizabeth. And if we didn't read this, but she goes and she visits Elizabeth. And when she visits Elizabeth, they meet. And instantly it says that the, the child in Elizabeth's womb, who was, she was further along in her pregnancy with, with uh, John, that that baby in her womb leapt for joy at the presence of Mary. And we, we understand the pregnancy of Jesus, right? So there's this leaping for joy. And so what Elizabeth is doing for Mary is, you may have any ounce of doubt is now gone in her. Like, she now understands this is confirmation that God is up to something. This is confirmation that God's plan is being fulfilled. And it must have done her a lot of good and given her, given her some confidence to know that there were other people a part of what God was doing and that God was actually doing this. So it was confirmation. And I think we all need that, right? We all need people to come around us and confirm what God is doing in our calls and in what God's inviting us to do. We need to share it with other people and hear from other people. Yeah, I confirm that in you. I, 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 have, I feel joy for you in what that's, what's happening, right? So I think that's important. So that's what we learned from Mary's response. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us living in an overstimulated, overwhelming, overstressed world? What does that mean? Well, you know, there's an old, age-old debate about nature and nurture. It's been going on for I don't even know how long, at least since I was in college. It's a long time, by the way. But, you know, are we wired? You know, is there nothing we can change about ourselves or about how we experience life? Or is everything locked in genetically? Or are we products of our environment and our culture? That's the debate, right? And I don't know where you land on the debate and really the point of this illustration is really to, to, to help us look at what can we do. So one theory is that we're 50% genetic, like 50% of who we are and how we respond to circumstances in our lives is genetically predetermined, it's in us. At least 50% that's not. They estimate, one estimation is that about 10% of our response in the, in the life is based on circumstances, so some of it, like, you know, we're going to be who God created us to be. That's how we're created genetically. Then there's 10% of circumstances that happen to us and shape us and mold us. But there's, the other part is that there's 40% that we have control over, that, that we can shape. So think about that. So one, that's 
thinking about the nature, the nurture, but then there's our response. 40% is our response to those two things and our response to life and our response to the world. So if that's true, and that's just a, one possibility, uh, here's, here's one of the things I want to quote, I want to share with you from Dr. Catherine Hart Weber in her book, Flourishing, says this. She says, joy comes from the Spirit of God, from within and without, and you can make choices and live intentionally to cultivate more. And if you look at the story of Mary, when you keep going, if you keep reading, in fact, I encourage you to go home and read the rest of Luke chapter 1 there, what you'll find is that Mary writes this very beautiful poem, hymn, where it expresses, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she's experiencing joy in the midst of the disruption from God. She's experiencing this joy. And so what Dr. Weber is saying is that we actually have the ability to cultivate it within our lives. That, that it's not all up to genetics. That it's not all up to our environment. That it's actually cultivated by the Holy Spirit at work in us. She actually uh, also shares a study they did with nuns. And uh, they did a study, a brain scans of nuns that were practicing contemplative prayer. Now, contemplative prayer is different than maybe we understand some of our practice of prayer, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But they were practicing contemplative prayer, and what the researchers did was they took brain scans of the nuns in contemplative prayer. And here's what they found in the brain scans. That the area of the brain associated with happiness, joy, and clarity, that part of your brain, those parts of their brains were lit up. They were alive. And the part of their brain, the, what we call the reptilian part of the brain, or the part of the brain where there's fight or flight or anxiety or fear, that part of the brain was subdued. So think about this from neur neuroscience perspective. That when they were practicing contemplative prayer, the places of fear and anxiety were reduced and the places of happiness and clarity and the place of joy that they experienced was elevated because they were praying a certain way, by the way. So think about that. God wired us. <laughs> even think about this, going back to the genetics. God has created us this way. God wired us this way. So think about this. So what would it look like for you and I to take that part of our lives, our response to life, and cultivate the joy and allow the work, creative work of the Holy Spirit in us to be available to that in our overstressed, overwhelming, overstimulated world? So here, let, let's offer some suggestions for, to cultivate joy in our own lives so that our souls might magnify the Lord. First off, number one, pursue God-created pleasures. These are simple pleasures. These aren't the pleasures that we, the world, gives us. They're, they're not the pleasures we're going to find on our phones or our computers or our emails or our TV screens. That's not where we're going to find these pleasures. Think of nature. Taking a walk in nature. That's a simple joy. Think about um, spending time with people you like. <laughs> Just being together in relationship. That's, that, that will... That's a pleasure. That's a good thing, right? 
Think about um, good rest, a good night's sleep. You know the, that a good night, the psalm says, and the, and the scripture says, a good night's rest is a gift from the Lord. As I get older, I'm like, yeah, amen, bro, amen to that. To have a good night's rest is a gift. It also, it helps our bodies recover. It is a joy, it is a pleasure, right? And then the other thing I would say is eating healthy. Giving our bodies what it needs and not just overstimulating our bodies with stuff, right? So think about it that way. Other thing, number two, change your pace. We're coming up on a season uh, here at Christmas. Hopefully we're going to get to slow down a little bit. One of the things that, can I say I miss about quarantine? I know not everybody wants to talk about what they miss, but I miss that we slowed down, right? And that we got to actually focus on some things that we weren't focused on. I actually miss that because we're now we're just ramped back up, right? Back into where we're just ramping back up to what we were doing before. And I think that change of pace is helpful. So sometimes we need to just slow down and limit the use of adrenaline <laughs> to get us through the day or limit our use of, dare I say it, caffeine. And I, again, do as I say, not as I do. Because <laughs> I have a cup of coffee and, and I run on adrenaline a lot of times. And so these things actually need to be subdued in our lives, right? Number three, practice contemplative prayer. Now, let's, this is where I want to talk a little bit about that. This is really a prayer that slows us down, that we, we are praying in a way to connect to God. So it's not about, I think a lot of times we think of prayer as bringing our request, you know, our list of requests to God. And, it, and prayer then becomes maybe a task for us rather than contemplative prayer is really slowing down and being and connecting to the presence of God in our lives. That's the difference in prayer. It's not necessarily a task, right? So think about it this way. Do you know what the difference between a task person and a cohesive person is? Have you ever heard this before, task cohesion? So I want you to think about it this way. Think about, are you a task person or a cohesive person right now as I tell you this illustration? So a task person, imagine you're on a street corner in Seattle and you're at the corner and you're waiting for the light to change green and for the little light to go on that says that you can walk across the crosswalk. Has anybody ever been there? Right, you put yourself in a situation. But in this particular situation, you're with some friends and family, the people you love, people you care about. People that you want to be in your life, right? So these are people you like. So a task person, the light turns green, the little light on the walk sign goes, and you immediately beeline it across the crosswalk. You get to the other side, you turn around, and your friends and family are still on the other side talking and chatting away. And you're going, where are you guys? It's time to go. The light's going, you got to get over here, because if you don't get over here, you, you know, you're, you're missing your opportunity, you're missing your chance, right? That's the task person. They just want to get the task done. The other person, the cohesive person, stands on the same corner with their friends and family. The light changes. They look around and say, hey, guys, let's all go together. And if you've got young ones with you, you're going to grab their hands. And you're going to go with them across the crosswalk. And you're going to make sure everybody stays together. And you're going to make sure everybody is there crossing the street together and goes together and enjoying each other as they go. That's cohesion. So let me ask a question, if you're, if, you're, if you're daring enough to admit this, which are you? How many people are task people? I'm actually a task person. 
Right. So we're the task people, right? How many people are cohesive per people, right? Yeah. So that's great. We love, I love having cohesive people around. Because us task people, we, you know, I can only speak for the task people. We're, we need cohesive people to remind us to, to, hey, you know, slow down, right? So I want you to think about prayer this way. Prayer is not a task to get done. Contemplative prayer is not. Contemplative prayer is cohesive. It's where we spend enough time in prayer that we actually connect with God. And then we go with God into our tasks. And we are cohesive with what God is doing in our lives. And we're cohesive with where God is going and what God is doing. And we're going with God. And in fact, we're allowing God to lead us across rather than us going across without God, which is what task people tend to do. And then we go, God, where are you? I'm still back here waiting for you to come be with me. Contemplative prayer. Number four, and this is the last one on the the practice, be grateful. We've talked about this before throughout the fall, but instead of paying attention to your phone or to the computer or the TV or whatever, the news, whatever it is, just be in the moment. Be grateful for the things, the simple things in life. Uh, Again, I was... Where do you, I'm going to tell you where I was, and you can guess, because I say this all the time, because I'm out there every week. So where do you think I was this week? If you've heard uh, Discovery Park, you've heard a sermon before. And uh, so I'm out running, and I'm like, you know, as a task person, I want to get the run done, right? And I'm running and running, and I'm not doing great in my time, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, oh, I'm probably not going to do good this week. And so... Um, but as I'm running along the, the uh, lighthouse path, and they're just laying out. They're just hanging out in the water. Pit flippers just lying around, just kind of relaxed. And I said to myself, all right, Matt, practice being grateful. Slow down. So I stopped. And I just stood there on the shore and I just watched God's creation unfold before me. And I was just thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you're doing. That you've created this beautiful world around us, right? So that's being grateful, being mindful to that moment rather than rushing off with what I gotta do. My time was gonna stink anyway, so. And I only include that because, you know, I always think about that. You know, God just puts these things in my path to shape my sermon sometimes. But I needed to just slow down, be grateful. So here's a, I want to land and just share with you a verse that I hope helps you. And I want to share this verse with you and maybe hold on to it this week. Maybe let it be a verse that guides you. And this is actually out of a different version called the message version of the Bible. And it's Psalm 9711 that says this. Light seeds are planted in the souls of God's people. Joy seeds are planted in good heart soil. And I believe, and we believe that joy, God wants to plant joy in our hearts. And that, we need to cultivate the heart of our, the soil of our hearts, right? And so that's faith. 
over fear. That's, that's trust over inadequacy. That's saying, creative work of the Holy Spirit, come cultivate faith and joy in me, just as you did in Mary. Let's pray together. God, we want to come to you today, and we just pray that you would plant those seeds in us. Plant those seeds of light and seeds of joy in us, and help us to be people who cultivate the soil of our hearts in such a way that we can receive the good things that you have for us, that we would cultivate the joy that you have for us, the the gratitude that you have for us, the peace that you want to give us in the midst of an overstimulated world. And so, Lord, even as we come to this table today where Jesus set aside his life with you and was disrupted and came to earth, to disrupt us, to disrupt our world. And we come to this table of disruption today, which reminds us the, of the good things you wanted to do for us in Christ, the good things that you want to pour out in us and plant in us and seed in us. And may we just be good stewards, good gardeners to cultivate them in our lives. So Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us together today? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit that creative work of the Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So that when we leave here today, we can be the body of Christ for a broken, overstimulated world. So Lord, cultivate in us your grace, your forgiveness, your faith. We pray in Jesus' name. And we pray together that great prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.